The majority of us believe in Santa Muerte, said Ballesteros. She's a god to us. I ask her to shield me from danger and provide work and clients. Condemned as satanic by the Catholic Church and frequently portrayed as a narco cult in the media, worship of Santa Muerte is nevertheless a fast-growing new religious movement in the Americas, according to Andrew Chestnut, professor of religious studies at Virginia Commonwealth University. Mexican Catholics and evangelicals tend to view transgenderism as a lifestyle choice, said Chestnut. But the fact that Santa Muerte is outside the orbit of both evangelical and Catholic Christianity makes her much more appealing. It's much easier for followers to feel that she's not going to be judgmental. In contrast, many transgender women feel rejected by mainstream churches. I went with some transgender friends to Mass one time, said Ballesteros. The priest stopped his sermon and told us to leave the house of God. After that, I decided I wouldn't ever go back. The Reverend Hugo Valdemar Romero, a spokesperson for the Archdiocese of Mexico City, said the church does not abandon or excommunicate transgender people, but he does believe they suffer from pathology. Of course it is not acceptable for someone to violate their own biology, he said. Nature is very clear. There are men and there are women. As for Santa Muerte, Romero considers it a cult. Despite the church's condemnation, many Santa Muerte devotees describe themselves as Catholic. The civil rights organization Transgender Europe has documented 247 killings of transgender people in Mexico between January 2008 and April 2016, the second highest number in the world after Brazil. The life expectancy of transgender women in Latin America is 35, according to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. Transgender activist Ari Vera Morales was expelled from a teaching training college. The school said I was creating a negative image, she said. The problem with being a transgender woman in Mexico is that your identity, your existence is criminalized. Yet Santa Muerte plays a vital role in helping to unify a community that lacks a voice and visibility. When I was 14, my mom kicked me out and I went to live in a house of a friend, Ballesteros said. She had a big altar. I learned what a cult was, what death was, what everything was for. These are excerpts from an article called How a Skeleton Folk Saint of Death took off with Mexican transgender women by Stephen Woodman, published March 31st, 2017. This is Monstras. everyone welcome thanks for joining us for another episode of Montras. we are your hosts i'm brenda salguero and i'm orquide morales 
Great. Awesome. I'm glad it sounded like you forgot your name for a second. It's cool. It's cool. (laughs) I was just, I realized there was a typo and it was driving me crazy. I'm like, well, how did I misspell your name? Did it autocorrect? I saw it and I was like, ah, who cares? I misspell my own name all the time. Oh my God. Like literally all the time. That was going to drive me crazy though. So (laughs) that's why I forgot my name. I was like, no. (laughs) Anyways, this is the second part of our two-part exploration of La Santa Muerte or Holy Death. I'm so excited for it too because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, and as y'all may remember, in our last episode, we introduced La Santa Muerte and how she and her worshippers have been associated with narco culture. So we talked a lot about like controversial and gruesome murders, like the case of Mark Kilroy and a few others, and then how that was linked to Santa Muerte. Today, most most people know her as the narco saint, but is there more to her than meets the eye? Yes, just like a transformer. <laughs> really? We're going to go there, transformers? <laughs> I got to bring up one nerd reference every single episode. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is it. I'm cutting you off, though. No more nerd references for the rest of the episode. <laughs> okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> okay, so as Brenda said, yes, there's like so much more to her. Um, so we, we're going to cover it, some of it, but we couldn't cover it on our own. So for today's episode, we have a special treat. Uh, I, Orquidia, tested out her tech abilities and recorded an Ooh. interview. Yeah! <laughs> and it's not bad. It worked <laughs> out. Actually, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. So today we're going to take a closer look at the origins of La Santa Muerte and the contentious relationship between the Catholic Church and La Santa Muerte, the followers. And then we're going to have a chance to uh, interview Professor William Calvo Quiroz from the University of Michigan, who will shine his expert light on what Santa Muerte and her followers actually do. So you don't want to miss that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously people... (laughs) They're listening up until this point. Right. Well, I mean, just just <laughs> make sure you listen all the way to the end. <laughs> listen to that interview. Anyways, so my favorite part was researching the history and the Catholic Church um, and its contentious history uh, because it was super interesting. So first of all, in looking back uh, in history and trying to trace where did Santa Muerte actually come from, There are really a ton of different theories. So, for instance, um, I found this article that mentioned this man, um, Claudio Lomintz, while quoting Carlos Navarrete's work, posits that it was actually related to the cult of San Pascual Bailon in Guatemala in Chiapas. So, somehow, uh, I guess San Pascual uh, Bailon um, is some sort of Franciscan monk. And so somehow this monk um, transformed and metamorphosized into the skeletal woman, Santa Muerte. I don't know exactly how that happened, but apparently that's one hypothesis out there. Um, Santa Muerte, um, he also says, is just the most recent manifestation of Mexico's relation with death. So as we mentioned in the Los Muertos episode... She might just be another manifestation of the relationship that Mexico has with death, right? So others say that she actually originates from Europe and European tradition uh, or a European tradition uh, called La Danza Macabra uh, from the 18th century. So 
these are just a little handful, a little taste. Uh, Andrew Chestnut actually, uh, and everyone quotes this dude. Like I noticed his name kept coming up and up and up. Why is that? Do you know? Um, so I think he's one of the first scholars to publish on her. So yeah, I think that's why he comes up so much. He's one of the first to, to publish on her and then I'm sure interviewed and so on. Oh, that makes sense. I was like, why is this dude just constantly yeah. chestnut here, chestnut there? I was like, oh my God, <laughs> chestnut shut everywhere. up about chestnut, <laughs> chestnut everywhere. So anyways, everyone calls this dude, um, and he mentions that he sees her name first mentioned in Spanish colonial records from the 1790s, where indigenous people were actually caught worshipping Santa Muerte. Uh, and of course, that was bad at the time. And uh, side note, she isn't also, so she isn't connected uh, to La Catrina or to even Day of the Dead. So if you thought that maybe that's where her origin came from, it's neither. And as you remember, La Catrina is a skeletal figure, I believe, designed by... Posada. Posada, thank you. (laughs) I was like, I forgot his name. Anyways, Posada. That's why there's two of us. We figure it out. There you go. Excellent. Thank you. So basically, there is no birth point, and no one has actually been able to explain how she was around so early on, and then poof, disappeared, only to reemerge around the 1950s. True. I mean, she's definitely a complex and mysterious figure, and um, Claudio Lomnitz, in his book, uh, Death and the Idea of Mexico, talks about her at the end of it so he gives like a long history Mm. of death and mexico's relationship to death and all that sort of fun stuff and like the end of it is reserved to santa muerte because there's just so much more left to do and she's a new phenomenon so there's people don't really know where she comes from Uh, another Mm. possible point of origin some scholars journal journalists and followers have pointed to is mixteca siwatl our old friend I said Excellent. it. <laughs> I, good job, because I was not pronouncing that. I was like, nope. Yeah. I'm skipping over it. <laughs> well, she's in here a few times. Let me see if I can say it again. So in episode four, we talked about uh, her and her relationship to the Day of the Dead. A quick refresher. Mikteka Siwatl is a mother di- deity. Job. She's in charge of birth and death and of the underworld. As such, her relationship to death is key. So during the conquest, the Spanish brought with them their own image of death, um, which was different from from this deity that we see in the Americas. Uh, so in in the in Europe, the image of the skeleton as death became popular uh, around Spain around the 14th century. Uh, before then, it was death as the ghost. So the skeleton as death around the 14th century is when it it, it became more popular. Oh, so that's when it emerged. Yeah, in that continent. Uh, oh, okay, gotcha. Or in that country. So in Spain, there was also this image of La Muerte Santa, or Holy Death, and I think maybe this is what Chestnut was pointing to as well. Um, maybe. So people who had lived mm-hmm. their lives well and were good Christians, when they died, they got that death. They had a good death, or a Muerte Santa. Um, so the image of the skeleton and shrouds came to symbolize La Santa Muerte in that way, or a Muerte Santa, uh, death for those that are going to heaven. Um, and oh. yeah, so if you have, if you lived a good life, you have Muerte Santa, you go to heaven. If you lived a shitty life, you have plain old death and you go to hell. Ugh. 
So that sucks. Yeah. What about babies? I guess it depends if they're baptized, no? Because they're probably Catholic. Oh yeah, baptized baby, unbaptized babies go to purgatory. Purgatory. Yeah, because it's obviously their fault. Yeah, obviously yeah. it's damn that baby. Those babies. Quite literally, damn that baby. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and just like our discussion from last episode, La Santa is a syncretic figure that brings together indigenous histories um, and transnational beliefs and Catholicisms. So um, she isn't, she usually isn't the only figure people follow. They usually follow her alongside other saints. So like San Judas Tadeo or like the Virgin Mary and, and things like that. Uh, people use rosaries, candles, prayers, and things like that to celebrate La Santa Muerte. I've seen, uh, just side note, I've seen people actually use cig- cigarettes. Yeah, like cigarette smoke? Yeah, or uh, yeah, just people like smoking and, and stuff like that. They said that they also put boas around her, like her statue and things like that to, to worship her. I wonder if the smoke is more of an Afro-Caribbean thing. Because I think with, like, Santeria and things like that, the smoke is used. Oh, so it might be an Afro-Caribbean. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a possibility. Um, so one of the cool things that we learned from our conversation with Professor Calvo Quiroz um, was the definition of saint. And I think that's what makes La Santa Muerte different from what we've been talking about, death in relationship to... Catholicism or death in relationship to, um, like, just dying, right? So the the idea of a saint is someone that you pray to and that intercedes on your behalf to a higher power. So a saint is the spiritual benefactor, which I thought was really cool. Oh, so then uh, the other thing is visually, too, La Santa is similar to another saint. And this gets us kind of into the heart of the Catholic Church. So visually, La Santa Muerte is... Uh, very, very similar to the Virgin Mary. So in older versions, she has what looks like a halo around her head, similar to what the Virgin Mary has. But unlike the Mary, who is usually facing down or sideways, the Santa is usually facing forward. She's looking at you in the eyes, you know. Yeah. Just like death. Just like Just death. Like death. Um, and in some ways, you can argue that the large following La Virgen de Guadalupe tiene in, in Mexico has influenced both the imagery of Santa and how she has been adopted so openly by many people. So this gets us into the topic of the Catholic Church. So when working on this episode, one of the aspects that really interested me, again, was the relationship between Santa Muerte and the Catholic Church because, you know, they're... They're at odds with one another, I guess. Or at least the Catholic Church has something really, really deeply against... uh, Basically, it has it out for Santa Muerte. So I wondered how the Catholic Church, you know, manipulated its way into people's consciousness uh, through colonizing. And I think this is where one of the big pushbacks against Santa Muerte comes from, you know. Santa Muerte is strongly condemned by the Church. So... Take, for instance, this quote that I also got from a Catholic news agency article, like that's the website or whatever. 
Santa Muerte is strongly condemned by the Catholic Church, so it's not every day that a folk saint is actually condemned at the highest levels of the Vatican, which our homie Andrew Chestnut mentions, um, under Cardinal Norberto Rivera, the church adopted its anti-Santa Muerte policy. So one of the things that they did was, and I found this very interesting, is that they distributed flyers via the diocese and the parish authorities. So parishioners were actually told that the cult, air quotes, was just another mark of Satanism and Catholics were at grave risk from dabbling in the cult. They might be, get this, possessed by demons. I love that. That's so intense. So intense. Stupid. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's like (laughs) you worship Santa Muerte and now you're full of demons. Yeah. That makes sense. You have a demon infestation. Yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. So the church's argument, so the the church has an actual argument against Santa Muerte. Uh, and it is that death cannot be holy because Christ overcame death, supposedly, and flew his ass up into the sky. So, the CNA interviewed... Don't laugh at me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just picturing, like, Jesus with, like, a rainbow coming out of his butt, flying, in, like, you, propelling himself into the sky. Into the sky. So. I mean, that's why they worshipped him, you know? It's because he just flew. Yeah, true. Whole ass man just flew into the sky. Uh, so the CNA or the Catholic uh, news agency, whatever the fuck that is, but whatever. Anyways, they had this article and then they, they were within the same article. They interviewed this priest. His name was uh, Father Gutierrez. And he says that she is simply a demon in disguise and that he has personally, maybe not personally, but he has witnessed many people who worship her suffer greatly. Um, although this is side note, a note that I wrote to myself is, although it could be that people prone to suffering are the ones who are actually worshiping her. Mm. So maybe he's got it backwards, Mr. Father Gutierrez. (laughs) (laughs) You got it wrong. Um, so he says, quote, I have had a number of people who come to me as users of this practice and found themselves tied to a demon or demonic tribe, he said. First of all, really a demon? And second of all, there's demonic tribes? Can I just say that my favorite part of that is where he says users? Like, it makes it makes it sound like these people are using drugs. Yes, you know, it does. Santa Muerte is the gateway drug. Next thing you know, demonic tribes. <laughs> I, I have no idea what a demonic tribe is, but I want to be a part of it. I want to be part of this tribe. I was going to say, and I don't want to (laughs) know. I was like, I want to join this tribe. Whatever it is, count me in. Um, So the same article posits that people who worship her or people worship her because they're not true Catholics and therefore easily manipulated. So... Again, it was this, they were quoting this lady who was talking about it, who I get, who knows who the fuck this lady is, but <laughs> they were quoting her and she was like, well, I think people worship, don't, you know, who worship her probably just, you know, are just ignorant and don't understand Catholicism and don't understand. And it's like, again, you're putting the church is basically looking at people and saying, well, it's your fault for wanting more 
out of some sort of organized religion. Yeah. You know, as we'll explore probably in your interview, the reason why people actually, you know, worship something with it is because when they looked at the Catholic Church, they were like, nah, son, this freaking church has ignored us and has betrayed us. And why would we want to worship in an area where we're being judged Instead, we're going to go to someone who does not judges, judge us for who we are. And that's Santa Muerte. Anyways, to continue, uh, this other father, God, they interviewed so many fathers. Um, this <laughs> other father said, St. Death is an oxymoron. God is a God of the living and not the dead. Which, I mean, why did you roll your eyes? <laughs> it just, doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't, because... The idea is you go to heaven to be with God, so God is the God of the dead as well, right? Like I thought God was the God of everything. Right. So, I don't, I don't ho- understand. What drugs is Father Thomas smoking? <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh too much, because I realize I laugh a lot on this podcast. <laughs> It doesn't matter. I laugh. I cackle. I cackle half the time. <laughs> That's true. But that is ridiculous. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's I don't understand. And anyways, the point is the church really freaking hates her. Um, the church is also I know they've gone ahead and destroyed uh, shrines. They've they've gone ahead and destroyed. Like they they are not just condemning her in in word or name. They're actually actively destroying sites that people erect for Santa Muerte. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's pretty crazy. I've also read. I was reading an article actually by uh, that showed up in an FBI newsletter. I guess. Uh, and that, I was like, oh my God, even the FBI is on this shit. Like, it was crazy. Um, and they were mentioning Santa Muerte and its connections with narcos and narco culture again and again and again. Um, but anyways, despite all this condemnation, despite all this negative press, essentially, despite being tied to narco culture, you cannot stop Santa Muerte. Excuse me. I had to. I was holding that in because I was being dramatic. <laughs> I'm just laughing because you what? You cannot stop Santa Muerte, bruh. <laughs> like, like we're performing an exorcism on you. Santa Muerte's coming out. She's coming out of me. She's can't jumping stop her. out. Can't stop can't her. Can't stop her. Can't stop her. So anyway. <clears throat> Okay, Chestnut says. Oh, go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, you can't stop Santa Muerte. You can't stop her coming out of my body. Uh, <laughs> so, Chestnut says that Santa Muerte is the fastest growing religious movement in Latin America. And according to a commenter on our Facebook page, yes, we have a Facebook page. Please visit it. We just opened it. Uh, we did it because, you know, I guess. I like Facebook. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, I've been on it forever, yeah. so I'm okay with it. Um, but anyways, go visit our Facebook page and like it. Um, so according to someone who 
was on our Facebook page, he mentioned that it has already crossed the border and it she has been actually spotted as far up as New Orleans. Like mm-hmm. he was saying that she's in New Orleans. Yeah. So she traveled far and fast. That was, um, I thought that was really cool because I know in New York, like areas that have a large Latino population, you know, New Orleans isn't my first thought, though, when I think of areas with large Latino populations. But I guess after Katrina, that happened, too. Oh, that could make sense, actually. And if you think about it, areas that were depressed for a time period, that probably quickened her um, growth. Also, New Orleans has a history of this sort of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. of, of, um, whatchamacallit, like... uh, uh, voodoo and, and santeria and like they have a co like a coalescence of different um outside of the church i guess or catholic church or your traditional church beliefs yeah so i think it was fertile ground definitely for new orleans and that's awesome so apparently there are 10 to between 10 to 12 million people who worship her i don't know how they're doing the census but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you count it. No idea how you count it. One of the cool things I saw is that they have this online. And I'm sure there's multiple websites. And, and William talked about them like having a really um, constant online presence. People that, that believe in Santa Muerte and the different or- organizations that follow her. But oh, they have um, like online, um, I guess like, what's the online not focus groups but online commenting oh like uh forums forums thank you oh my god i feel so old (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah blogs forums yeah places where people write discords they have tumblers shut up (laughs) (laughs) i'm like online thingies online newsletters newsletters that's the worst thing i've ever heard (laughs) anyways well their online newsletters are really cool because i'm just gonna refer to them in that way oh god people post like you know i pray to her and this is what happened or i need help what do you recommend so the online community is really cool and really fascinating and on there you see people condemning it too like don't follow her. This is horrible thing's going to happen to you. But most of it is really positive and, like, really inviting. Oh, man. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and that's basically kind of what you talk about or you touch on with William, right? Yeah. Yeah, we talk about, like, the different branches or the different types of followers um, that mm-hmm. La Santa Muerte has on that's both awesome. sides of the border. That's awesome. And I'm glad she is very technologically savvy, it sounds like. She is. She is. You know, she's That's gotta probably keep it... why. What? What were you used to say? She's got to keep it real? She's not, I was just going to say, she's probably more tech, more tech savvy than I am. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, she's probably more tech savvy than I am. So <laughs> she's... Yeah, she's uh, the, she's out there, and that's actually probably how her, um, why she has so many more followers is the internet. The internet yeah. probably contributes to it as well. 
So what else were you going to say? I guess the last thing we wanted to say before we jumped into the odd, the video, the interview portion, at least of um, your conversation with William is the pito, which I saw mentioned a lot in a lot of writings. Yeah. So um, Santa Muerte was, is really known or was created in Tepito. And Tepito is a famous or infamous, depending on who you ask, neighborhood in Mexico City, where they have mm-hmm. this giant tianguis or giant flea market where you can buy everything. They have, they're they're famous for counterfeit goods, counterfeit and stolen Ooh. goods. I, I was reading about it. I was like, I want to go there. I want to go there too. Yeah, it sounds um, awesome. But people are always like, stay away, stay away from Tepito. It's really, really dangerous. Um, it's a really, really poor region in Mexico City, um, oh. and people are warned not to go. Um, and then, but they tell that to white people. Well, they say, they tell it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's dangerous, but to white people, I was like, I can, I can kind of blend in here a little bit, maybe not a lot. I think so. When I was doing the research, the biggest. Uh, crime they had was robbery that's right yeah that doesn't seem bad i mean it's bad but it's not that bad i'm not gonna get shanked so yeah you're not gonna get like raped and murdered or something i was like if it's not rape and murder it's not real crime whatever shut up But I mean, because it's a poor, it's a, it's a poor region or traditionally it's been like a poor region. Robbery makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And if people, if I, when I was in Mexico, I tipped quite well. I was just like, here, take my money. Yeah. I am a dirty, dirty colonizer. Here you go. So. (laughs) I'm glad you do that because I don't do that. (laughs) Really? No, I'm joking. I do tip. I do tip. (laughs) Okay, good. Yes. I was gonna say, I was like, this bitch don't do it. <laughs> You're Mexican. I'm not even Mexican. <laughs> I have family members that don't tip. I for the longest time my family wouldn't tip. Like they refused. They would put a dollar down no matter how much money uh was spent on a dinner. And I was yeah. like, no wonder Latinos have such a bad freaking your reputation of not tipping. And so I would always put down like the proper amount, and my parents would take it away. Yeah, they would be like, "That's too much," and they, and then my dad would be like, "That's my money now." And I was like, "What the fuck? You're stealing from me, you bastard!" <laughs> That's why I love credit cards, though. You can leave the tip on there; they don't have to know. They can't take That's, that back. That they can't. Yeah. What is my dad gonna do? Eat the receipt? Yeah, he might. He might try. He I might. Don't know. No. He, yeah. <laughs> And be the craziness that my dad is. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. I believe he would absolutely eat it. Um, but anyways, talk about. Sorry, we went on a oh yeah sidetrack. So, Tepito. So, Tepito. <laughs> so there they have an internationally known altar Santa Muerte. So there's this woman called Enriqueta Romero or Queta that set up a large statue and altar. Yes. For Santa Muerte. Yeah, and uh, we talk about it her a little bit in the interview. And I've seen so many pictures of this altar. It looks beautiful. And this lady looks really awesome. So she set up the altar in 2001. Um, So even though Santa Muerte started in 1940s, 1950s, um, like she was visible or like present uh, 
mm. for people to worship publicly around 2000, 2001 with this um, altar. That's why Tepito becomes known as the, the site of Santa Muerte. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Damn. Well, I think that's basically all we've got. I wanted to go a little more deeper into the Catholic Church. But then after researching a lot, I was just like, it was the same story of just like, <laughs> let's destroy this altar. Let's destroy that altar. Let's destroy this. And it's like, come on, Catholic Church. At least, I don't know, do something different. I still... Stop destroying people's livelihoods here. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, if they don't get any money out of it, then this is taking money away from them. That's a good point. It's always about money. You're right. You're 100% right. <laughs> That's totally what it is. That's why they're making, like, they're making this big deal of, like, condemning her. And But you know what? They still can't stop her. And mm-hmm. there's a reason why. So let's switch over to the first time ever in this long history of this podcast <laughs> to bring in our guests who will tell us more about Santa Muerte's history in Tepito and more details about who exactly follows her. Today, I will be interviewing Dr. William Calvo Quiroz, who is an assistant professor in the Department of American Culture at the University of Michigan. His upcoming book manuscript is tentatively titled Saints of Migration, Border Saints and Sinners, and it investigates the U.S.-Mexico border region during the 20th century, not only as a sociopolitical space of conflict and struggle, but also as a 2,000-mile strip of haunted land inhabited by many imaginary creatures and fantastic tales. If you would like to learn more about his work, please visit his website, barriology.com, and we'll share the link for that. So can you tell us a bit about the history of La Santa Muerte, particularly in Mexico? Uh, I, I, in my research, and many other scholars agree, La Santa Muerte can be defined as a, a phenomenon who's very much defined as a saint. You know, with that terminology as a saint, means you pray for or do you ask for a spiritual, um, benef- as a benef- spiritual benefactor, something that is probably appeared around the 1940s, 1950s in Mexico. We say the 1940s because this is the first reference that we have about somebody praying to the Santa Muerte to get something, you know? Uh, and it's, in, it's, it's, it's about um, an ethnography that happened, a, a family who is from Tepito, and this family. At that moment, what we know is that there is little stamps with the prayer of Santa Muerte, but it looked like the Santa Muerte at that moment, in the 40s and 50s, it was a saint for love. People okay. will ask Santa Muerte to grant you a partner or to make the person that he was in love with you before and something happened to fall in love with you again. So it was very much about this kind of saying that forced love relationship, we say. Okay. Now, the real uh, emergence of the Santa Muerte, as we understand today, publicly, uh, I say publicly because that means that it was happening before, but in private. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, there's also a lot of st- a stigma around the veneration of the Santa Muerte, so it's hard to know a lot of these historical facts because probably if people was venerating the Santa Muerte at home, it was in private, as secret, and they would not play, play, tell other people. So however, 2001 is a particularly important 
moment in the evolution of La Santa Muerte because we had Doña Queta Romero, uh, what we call the original grandmother, who opened uh, the first shrine to La Santa Muerte in 2001, uh, really right after September 11, in the months leading uh, after that, in her home in Tepito. Uh, the story goes that uh, her son had given a statue of La Santa Muerte, was a big sign, and she decided to uh, knock down one of the walls from the living room, who is facing the, the outside, the, the street, put in a, a big window, and build a kind of built-in uh, little altar, you know? So people who are walking through the street can see La Santa Muerte, um, they put in a little bench so people can pray. So it's technically uh, a, a little nicho, you know, who is expand within, inside the house, but people can be from the outside. This is important because it's the first time that somebody publicly, mm -hmm. uh, open, uh, openly, uh, decide to make everybody know that they follow Santa Muerte. Um, so I think my question is, you talked about LGBTQ communities and how they follow Santa Muerte, because in our previous episode, we focused uh, on narcos. We focused on that criminal aspect of Santa Muerte, and that's how people know her, right? She's the, the narco saint but you're talking about these other communities that follow her. Can you talk about why they do that and how they do that? Yeah, well, there is a few things. Uh, the important thing to talk about La Santa Muerte is that even though we have an spiritual movement, you know, as a, uh, as a cohesive uh, spiritual uh, following around La Santa Muerte, we do not have a compact institution, let's say, of La Santa Muerte. So what we have is more like branches. Mm -hmm. So what they all have in common is that they believe in the Santa Muerte. Now from there, with that's at the core, they start to branch out into different manifestations of forms. And until now, because it's relatively only, I don't know, 17 years, San Queta Romero opened her home, most of these branches have been tied to a particular individuals. So we have Doña Queta, who is famous for his big uh, rosaries once a month. Um, uh, we have at one point uh, Father David Romero Guillén, who was involved in the beginning with the Santa Muerte and now is in prison because of uh, human trafficking and many other different uh, things that they, they did. But we have also Enriqueta Queta, Enriqueta Queta Vargas, who just died recently less than a month ago with his song, uh, who start what we know now as the Santa Muerte Internacional, and move on to these different groups. Okay. What is important is that from the beginning, the LGBTQ community was very much tied with La Santa Muerte. In part, I would say, because both groups had been ostracized by society. We can get to the moment which is a very unique in neoliberalism about the 1990s, where Mexico experienced a good a huge um, economic depression, you know, through NAFTA and many different reasons. But what is important is that there is a reason why La Santa Muerte emerged in a very poor neighbor, surrounded by people who traditionally have been ostracized, including the LGBT community. Now, from the beginning, many of these groups are, are performing gay marriages or gay unions. Uh, they are having gay members who are open, especially within the transgender community. So it creates a cultural acceptance between uh, the members in the way that is normalized the LGBTQ as part of their spiritual uh, community. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, most of the groups, in not all the groups that I have visited, they all have been very gay friendly. What is interesting is that here in the United States, in many ways, the people who are leading many of those big groups, for example, in New York, it happened to be people who are transgender, who are very open uh, about the relationship, about the sexuality. And it's a very interesting because, for example, I went to this event in, in Queens, uh, and the person who are leading uh, is not only transgender, but she is there with his other friends, with her partner, uh, and is completely normalized as, as nothing else. So in many ways, it is very interesting that the Santa Muerte, as somebody who had been, as a saint who had been used to ostracize people, mm -hmm. had become a space when the, the LGBTQ, the poor, and many of them feel that they have been included. Now, remember, for many of these people, the, the Hattori Church has failed them, uh, the, the government has failed them, and many of the other institutions have failed them. So La Santa Muerte had became a space. Now, we need to understand, of course, the religious aspect, but also the social aspect. You know, religious group, uh, especially for immigrants, provide a place when you have been safe, when you can experience again your culture, when you can connect with your nation, uh, when you can find jobs, when you can find partners, when you can find security. You know, so the, these religious groups are not only religious in per se, but there is also a, a spaces where community is built and security is created around them. Are the different followers connected? There is a huge variety. We know when we say La Santa Muerte, we're not talking about a homogeneous, uh, unified group per se. Mm -hmm. But what we see is like a constellation of many different groups who are unified, but they believe in La Santa Muerte. But if you go in deep into each one of the different groups, there is no cohesion about who is La Santa Muerte, where the Santa Muerte come from. Is the Santa Muerte another saint or is a bigger saint? Uh, what is the relation with other Catholic? You know, I define the Santa Muerte within this kind of extended Catholic practices because the way that it's structured and the way that they believe is very much Catholic, even though the Catholic Church say that they're not. Um, so that's something, but we need to, you know, like when we started, we figured out the, the differences between how they see the Santa Muerte with relation to other saints, mm -hmm. or with Jesus, or with Mary, or with the, or the processes, or the plan of salvation that the Christian claim versus all this one. So it's not like a, so it's an interesting because there is no cohesion between all of them. And then, so does this mean that they all worship differently too? Do they have different practices, <clears throat> lighting yes. candles or uh, praying? Like exactly. That. And you know, and that's one of the interesting things. Now, things are changing also. You know, I define that there are different periods in the evolution of La Santa Muerte. And this new pre, pre, uh, period that we have, I call it the period of systematization and standardization. Also consumption of the rituals and the practice. But that means that as the movement has been expanding mm -hmm. and are moving into other places, we start seeing people who are not necessarily Latinos from Mexico. Uh, who had, do not have a connection with the culture, suddenly embracing La Santa Muerte as their saying, especially when they move into the United States. So the Santa Muerte as a spiritual movement get into this kind of little crisis because the question is, what defines the veneration to the Santa Muerte? You know? So what I'm trying to say is that at the same time that it's expanding, 
there is also a, a, also a movement of trying to synthesize some of the practices to normalize them. But it's at this Exactly, because otherwise they will get, you know, dissipate about mm -hmm. this huge, you know. So, but what is interesting is that, therefore, they're, and it's part of what it makes the Santa Marta so appealing to so many people is this kind of mega hyper flexibility mm -hmm. of the region. You believe in the Santa Muerte, and everybody will approach the, this practice of belief in the way that better suit them at that particular moment. So, for example, when I do a study of the, of, the, of the altars, the altars follow a particular structure of centrality, you know, but they're not the same. So some of them will have La Santa Muerte and the Virgin of Guadalupe and San Jude. Other people do not have any saints, but you have only Santa Muertes. Other people will have the Santa Muerte with toys. You know, so there is nothing. And then some people will do kind of masses, mm -hmm. you know, when they will have, uh, you know, an structure of, of different, of the ritual. But other people will be more spontaneous prayer. Um, people are allowed to do music. You know, so in many ways, it follows this kind of charismatic movement too. So, uh, and there is, you know, and there is many books who claim to have, you know, the, the rituals and the prayers on the Bible or the Santa Muerte, but there is now one single text where this moment has been recognized as the holding, you know, uh, document to create unity because all of them have been um, created by the moment. There is, you know, and what is interesting is that even when I'm asked the leaders, Hey, how do you form your, mm -hmm. lead, your own leaders? How do you create the person? They're very much about like, we leave the, the person come, but they say the person come already believing in the Santa Muerte. We're not going to interfere in this personal relation with her. It's true. They have some kind of cohesion and they have terms to, con to relate to each other. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as they say, as they travel for these different places in some kind of pilgrimages, uh, they find that each person will have different approaches. Some people will pray all night. Some people will do only for an hour. Some people will bring food. Some people will have mariachis. Some people will do prayers. So there is no unifying thing. That's what makes it so appealing because basically anybody in any place, in any moment, can connect to the con la Santa Muerte. Can you tell us a little bit more about the followers and why there's such a negative image associated with them? We should not, we should move out of the notion of just poverty as that growing element between the members. At the same time, we have a community who have experienced a lot of violence uh, because we say poverty and discrimination and all that kind of stuff. So it's normal that associated with that discrimination or that poverty, that is particular practice of violence, who have been attached as the operandi of some of those groups, because that's how it is. You know, poverty also, I mean, poverty is an act of violence, but also make generate violence. At the same time, we have a huge amount of mass media coverage of La Santa Muerte as a evil, as a narco, as a dark thing, uh, including the church, the Catholic church have been very clear about that one. Now, but the problem with that one is that if you create an image who is fixed, you do not allow for the complications and the diversity of people around La Santa Muerte. I'll give you an example. Uh, Peppermint is this um, film from the last year uh, with Jennifer Garner. 
uh, the movie starts with the image of, um, of a guy who is killed, uh, decapitated with a machete, in front of an altar of la Santa Muerte, and as this narco is, you know, killing this person because that person, you know, have do something wrong to him, but uh, he killed the person with a machete, all the blood uh, splashed the camera and splashed the, the statue of la Santa Muerte. This is how the film starts, and the film do reference consistently of this relation between the narcos killing this, you know, a desire for killing and revenge to the Santa Muerte, just as we have heard in the 1940s about anti-Mexican rhetoric about the blood sacrifice. So we had not changed that much in the rhetoric. What is happening is that we have transferred to a different images. You know, we don't use the Pachuco, we use La Santa Muerte. Mm -hmm. uh, we have scholars who have benefit by imposing and um, framing La Santa Muerte only as a dark, you know. Um, we have been uh, bombarded for this kind of uh, uh, gazing of reporters, grad students, faculty, you know, who just want to fit into this kind of negative. Mm -hmm. uh, the FBI, the DEA, the CIA, the Border Patrol have constantly um, uh, have, you know, these workshops about how to recognize narcosens uh, and include La Santa Muerte and Toribio, you know, Toribio Romo and uh, Jesus, Jesus Malverde, you know, all of them. So the problem is the fero. If any of these things are tied with any of those practices in some members, uh, the question is why? Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's a geographic situation. The saying was popular in a community and the individual come from that community and they just, it's just nature. The same way the Italians were um, attached with San Anthony because it was the same of their town before they moved to the United States. The same thing will happen. I think those are all the questions I had for you. Is there anything else you would like to add or you would want our listeners to know about Santa Muerte or your research? You know, I think something that is interesting to remember is that it's relatively new and very old at the same time. But as a modern phenomenon, it's relatively new. We're talking about a movement that it had, what, less than 20 years in the public eye uh, as the Santa Muerte. So therefore... We cannot see yet what kind of transformation or changes we'll experience in the next decades. Mm -hmm. The Santa Muerte, at least for me, was a very interesting cultural, historical phenomenon to understand how religious practices emerge and change. In many, in, in many ways, many of the, of, the, of the evolution of the Santa Muerte that we say in the, in the last 20 years reflect the evolution of other monotheistic groups that happened before in terms of being ostracized and the saying that people don't want you, that people, you know, and little by little see how they adapt and change. So for those starting religion, as an intersect with culture and politics and race and class and gender and sexual orientation, the Santa Muerte is a very beautiful, I would say, <clears throat> space to see all those things collide and changing and evolving, including the consumption and adaptation of La Santa Muerte to the American market. So um, after all the research that we've done in our conversation with William, what are your thoughts on La Santa Muerte? You know, I really like her. Like, I don't 
I don't ascribe to any sort of religion, any sort of saint, any nothing. I ascribe to nothing. I worship nothing. Um, but the eternal darkness that will swallow us up someday. That's the only thing I believe in. Um, but in reading about Santa Muerte and listening to her and, and not even listening to her, but just reading about her followers and stuff, I think she's fascinating. I think she's a good thing. You know, when people start, the thing that pisses me off is that A, she's gotten such a bad reputation, which then kind of leaks into her followers. You follow her only if you're like a demonia or only if you like are a saint, saint, Satan worshiper or whatever. Yeah. Or a um, narco. Or a narco. Like, that's the only reason why you worship her. But really, the truth is, it's not. People worship her specifically because they are missing something in the institutions that are mainstream. So our mainstream institutions are failing this particular group of people that are living on the edge. And because of that, they were like, well, screw you. We're not going to take this anymore. We're actually going to start worshiping someone who doesn't judge us, someone who can love us for who exactly we are, despite the fact that we're in the fringes. Like I was, I don't know if you, or um, there was an article that you sent me about someone talking about, you know, being trans and yeah. And again, we mentioned this in the previous episode, the trans community, again, just like in America, uh, is very, very persecuted, just everywhere, you know. And so you have the trans community who tried, you know, this person who was speaking, uh, she was saying that she went into the, the church and the church was like, get out, like yelled at her to just leave the church, like get the hell out. Of course, and, and she was like, I'm never going back there. Why would I ever go back to a place that condemned me as soon as I walked out, uh, into their doors who didn't even bother getting to know me before condemning me? Like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck the Catholic Church. They can go to hell. And I think Santa Muerte is a really good thing for people. Yeah. What do you think? I agree with you. I think she's pretty cool. Um, I have a few like tiny statues of hers um, that I've like acquired over the years, but I've and I, I've lit like a few candles to her and stuff like that. But I've never been mm. like a really intense follower. So I yeah, think, yeah. I think after this, I might dedicate like a corner of my altar to her. Um, oh, that's cute. Yeah, I like I like the I definitely like the imagery. Yeah, like the aesthetic is my aesthetic yeah. it's like it's like cool because i love skulls i love all those kind of things those, those are my jam i wore skull earrings to my thesis presentation my master's thesis presentation which was about the los muertos but whatever anyways um <laughs> and, and i love skulls so i i really do like that so anyways you know uh maybe you should erect a huge altar to her i don't know if i can do that you know why? So when I think of altar and when I, well, no, when I specifically think of like a, a erecting a large altar, for some reason, I think of the inflatable guys. Oh my God. You know, the inflatable <laughs> the ones. Santa the Santa Muerte is going to be like the, this. And the, the little, like the, the one that like waves its hands in the air like this at a, at a, at a car dealership. Okay. 
If they had an inflatable Santa Muerte that did that, I would totally have that outside my house. <laughs> I totally would. I think she'd love it. She might. I think the thing is, like, I, I don't like publicly worshipping, like, personally. Mm. So for me, I would rather just have the small altar that's personal, that's mine, and I can do with it what I want. But I do love that idea. That would be awesome. <laughs> so someone out there, if you know of an inflatable Santa Muerte, let us know. Hit us up. I'm totally buying know. it. <laughs> so let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so anyways, I think that's basically it for us. Um, we thank everyone for listening to us today. Thank you so much. Please leave a review. Um, please. It really, if you want to help us grow, it really, really helps uh, get the attention of other people. And we're slowly growing, slowly but surely. And so we love everyone who listens. We really, really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Um, our if you cold, have dead monster- hearts. Our cold, cold, dead hearts. Um, and just, you know, leave us a review and let us know what you think. And if you have any monstrous creatures or legends or any stories from your life, like tell us your personal stories or your family's encounters. Like I know when we do La Ciguanaba, which is going to be another one on our lists. I don't know where she's going to fall at or when we're going to do it. But I know my dad, my grandfather had an encounter with La Ciguanaba in, in like a dark carretera like a, a highway or whatever the, and i'll mention that story i'll tell that story in that episode but it was creepy as hell that's awesome and so i know it's so cool so please you know let us know send us your stories uh we do want to read some stories on air for sure and share them with folks um and so let us know just like the hairy hand definitely let's do it so please leave us a review subscribe um you can also follow us on social media like i said we're on facebook at monsters i think it's just monsters podcast or whatever right yeah uh yeah you can just find us um and then we have a twitter at monsters podcast or you can email us at um monsters podcast at gmail.com so Hit us up. Let us know your monster scary stories. And until next time, don't die.